Today's program is brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards & Sons, third-generation cure masters producing the country's best dry-cured and aged hams, bacon, and sausage. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. Hey, what's up? This is Jack Inslee, host of Full Service Radio. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this show, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Good evening and welcome to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. I'm Mary Izette. And I'm Chris Kuzmi. And we're your co-hosts through this weekly journey of all things fermented. Archived right here at HeritageRadioNetwork.org, also on Stitcher and iTunes, for your listening pleasure. <laughs> uh, somehow, always after this intro, Chris finishes up, looks at me... I just look at him, and we just can't say anything most of the time. I don't know. we got to get over that hump. We didn't used to do that. All right, so we do have a couple of mostly local announcements. So the first is Brunity. So Brunity is not a homebrew club. It's basically a gathering of all local homebrew clubs and homebrew shops in the New York City area and New Jersey. So how many clubs do we have participating in this event? At least 10 clubs and, and stores. Uh, in the local region, I expect a couple more. We've got at least 35 different beers uh, signed up to be in attendance or uh, uh, showing up and be shared. Yep. We've got a, got a crew of different uh, homebrewing musicians that will be, be the entertainment for that, as well as a DJ, uh, homebrew DJs, people on the scene, just celebrating New York City homebrew culture. Yep, and it's a good way to uh, not only support and learn about your local New York City homebrews, homebrewers, but also try some really good homebrews, and it's all going to benefit City Harvest. So the pouring event is at the Bell House, which is in the Gowanus area of uh, Brooklyn, February 22nd from 1 to 5 p.m., and you can find out more information at brunity.com. That's B-R-E-W-N-I-T-Y.com. And that is actually the third day of New York City Beer Week. New York City Beer Week is from February 20th to March 2nd, and uh, lots of fun stuff is going to happen. Not just that, but we're having a giant party at uh, the Altman Building, opening party. There's going to be amazing events uh, all around the different bars that that generally uh, serve craft beer all all year round, but we're going to say it loud for this 10-day celebration. and that's what I have to say about that. Another thing that's going on just before that, or at the beginning of February, Homebrew Alley. If you go to homebrewalley.com, uh, you can sign up uh, to judge or steward. We need your help. But we also, if you want great, amazing feedback uh, or very valuable, useful feedback on beers that you're making, send it into Homebrew Alley, and it will be judged by BJCP-ranked judges. The deadline for uh, sending things in is January 23rd, I believe? 22nd. 22nd mm-hmm. for registering and, and getting it to a drop-off point or mailing it in. Yep. I also want to give a shout-out to Randall Leeser, who is a local home brewer and invited us to a homebrew tasting on Friday evening. And he did a bang-up job. First of all, everything was very nicely laid out. He we had meats and cheeses and all kinds of yummy snacks and good company, <laughs> and he poured some great beers. So I thought it was super classy and a lot of fun. So thanks, Randall. Yeah, thanks, Randall. Um, speaking of homebrew, uh, also during New York City Beer Week, there is going to be an event that Jimmy Carboni, host of Beer Sessions Radio, is putting it together with Joshua Bernstein called the Homebrew Jamboree. And I believe it's the third year of this event. And uh, the people, today's guests, are, will actually have a beer at that event. 
Yep. So Matt Federico and Andrew Berman, welcome to the studio. Thanks for doing. Thanks for having us. Welcome to about it. So we first met you guys at this, the last Brooklyn Wart, uh, which I helped judge, and you were pouring, you came in second place. Mm-hmm. It was a very close race, though, from what <laughs> I remember. That was an outstanding beer. So you poured a Greenwood Saison with rye. So I can yes. remember meeting you guys there and having that excellent beer. So um, let's start by talking about how you guys got started homebrewing. Sure. Um, Matt and I went to college together, uh, so we met probably seven or eight years ago. Um, got really involved into the craft beer scene in Michigan, uh, which is a great place to start. Where in Michigan were you? Uh, Ann Arbor, right University on. of Michigan. Yeah, Go right Blue. <laughs> um, so then Matt moved to, uh, I'm from Long Island. Matt moved to Brooklyn after graduating college, and we sort of picked up our love for craft beer. And then I'd say probably three years ago, uh, me being the adventurous person I was, I decided to buy a homebrew kit. Uh, didn't do any research into what homebrewing was, but I had the kit, thought it'd be a great idea to try. And, uh, of course I said, doing no research one Saturday night, maybe eight o'clock, put some Led Zeppelin on, said, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to brew some beer. Brewed music, man. Yeah. I figured everything in the kit would, uh, have what I needed. Now, of course, also I said, well, I get a one gallon kit when you can get a five gallon kit. Uh, I appreciate so, this attitude yeah. very much. But, uh, <laughs> of course I quickly learned I don't have even a five gallon pot, you know, the sort of <laughs> first thing you need to learn brewing is if you're brewing five gallons of beer, you need at least five gallons of water. So, uh, that was a miserable failure. And, uh, Wait, can, can, can I just ask, what kind of kit was this? Was it a all-grain extract? Uh, it was an extract. Okay. So, yeah, I didn't do uh, all-grain, at least. <laughs> so, uh, put that to the side, put that in the basement for probably about eight months. Uh, you know, in the last few years, the craft beer scene here has really taken off, and we continued to sort of uh, learn about all these new styles of beer. And then uh, Matt sort of approached me, I'd say, and I said eight months later than that, and said, hey, we, you know, we should really try this. And I said, well... I really screwed it up the first time. I'm sure you want to do this. And he said, I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos. I actually yeah. did some research. And uh, we bought another kid. And that was sort of the start of brewing, I'd say, probably two and a half years ago now. So your entire time home brewing has been together. Yes. That's correct. That's, Besides that's that one beautiful. crazy night yeah. by yourself. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, that's how we all start with these romantic things. Yeah. (laughs) So we uh, we both brought something to the table, and, you know, Andrew was always trying to brew new styles, and I'm like, well, you got to think about, like, how we're actually going to do that. So we collaborate well, and it's been uh, really... Great ride so far. As drinking buddies, do you, do you, or do you guys have similar palates then, uh, or, or tastes uh, for for beer? I think we have different palates. Starting out, so what I brought to the table starting out was we brewed at my parents' house on Long Island. So I live in Astoria. Matt lives in uh, Greenpoint, and we drive out uh, once a month or so to brew. So that's what I brought to the table. And, and to start, we sort of did like uh, every other right. So someone, hey, I want to do uh, sort of a, a really cool like piney IPA, and I'm like, I want to do a citrus IPA, and we we would sort of switch and collaborate that way. But I think uh, over time, we sort of both understand what we like and try to be adventurous and we'll sort of play off each other. You know, Mal say, oh, I want to try this style. I say, okay, cool. We'll both do separate research. Uh, you know, I think something that we really try to do is understand the base style of that beer. So we bring that and then try to make sort of small adjustments based on our style. But we got to the point where whatever you want to do, let's do it. And we collaborate together. So in those three years, about how many batches do you think you guys have made? I'd say we average about one a month. So 
25 to 30 mm-hmm. yeah. batches. Mm-hmm. 120, uh, and they're all five-gallon batches? So. Yeah. And then you... Still within the legal limits, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, um, you work on Long Island, so you're able to check on the beer. Yep, I was uh, checking on our rye IPA that's fermenting. It's uh, two days into fermentation, so after work, take the 10-minute drive over to my parents' house, check on the beer. If I need to bring up the temperature, spend a few hours bringing that up, uh, so that makes it convenient right now. But, yeah. yeah. And um, what kind of system are you guys brewing on right now? Um, the system is my parents' stove. Okay. But it's uh, all grain, five gallons. We have uh, freezer chests in the basement. So put the carboy in there. Um, so we have, a, we have a pretty good system. I think and you're using that, a traditional, you know, like a cooler system? Yep. We got uh, a gallon cooler. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. Mash, lotter time. And yeah. yeah. So I think that's sort of the biggest thing over the last few years is sort of every few months improving upon the system, right? You know, you start out, you do extracts. Okay, I feel limited in that. Let's switch to all grain, you know, and then uh, that 100 degree day over the summer. Okay, let's get a, you know, a, a <laughs> right. freezer chest. Yeah. Okay, I, can, I can't stand this no more. Yeah. And then it was, you know, okay, let's start treating the water, uh, you know, do yeast starter. So we've sort of you know the steps of improving the process and i think it's taken us really two years to get to the point where we feel good about the consistency and the level of process that we have with our beer so Mm -hmm. cool i think that's an important lesson for a lot of people out there yeah be patient for one i mean it's not i think that sometimes you can make really great beers but it is definitely a process even for homebrewers that have been brewing for 10 20 30 years I mean, first of all, there's always new equipment and new materials, but also and and new new uh, techniques as well. You know, I mean, nobody knew what hop bursting was probably even five years ago. Um, so, I think you know that is something that's really cool is to kind of learn. You know, kind of look at benchmarks and what yeah. you've learned along the way and your improvements. Yeah, I think one of the big things for us was let's learn let's master or, or learn as best as we can this stage of the process, right? So it's the first time you're a home brewer, especially now you're like, oh, I want to add coffee, vanilla, you know, chili peppers. Like, let's just learn how to brew first. And we really spent, you know, maybe probably the first 10 batches, you know, you know, almost uh, probably say a third of the batches we did was just about learning yeah. how to brew, right? Mm-hmm. And, and not really worrying about, you know, just do a good base beer and really learn the process. So I think that's been an important thing for us. What were some of your first resources? Were, were there any Bibles? Uh? YouTube. 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 The YouTube Bible. Yeah. John Palmer's How to Brew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That was big. I'm going through the uh, Brewing Elements series. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I'm deep in the yeast book right now. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. There's there's so much to learn, and that's what's great about the hobby. There's always something new. Yeah, that is for sure. So talk about this beer that you guys... Uh, not only took second in Brooklyn Wort with the rice saison, and that you've rebrewed it, so that's what we're drinking in the studio, actually. So tell us, what did you guys decide to do a saison? We decided to do a saison because probably our first dozen or so batches, we used a lot of clean, um, neutral yeasts. Mm-hmm. Like, so like American ale yeast? Yep, yep, a 1056 or, um, yeah, American-style beers, so to fo- showcase the hops or mm-hmm. the malts and... Finally, we're like, you know, why, there's more than just uh, water, hops, and malt to a beer. So let's uh, try and showcase the yeast. So we 
went with a Saison, and uh, we heard good things about the 3711. Mm-hmm. Which is a French Saison yeast, correct. for those of you that are... Yeah, I love this yeast. Can't remember those numbers something. like oh, me, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or use a different company. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we... We gave it a go. We wanted to mix up a little bit, so we added some rye in there, and we feel like it, it uh, balanced out the beer really well. And what was your, you were talking before the show about using that yeast. So as most of us know that have played with Saisons, that kind of traditional Belgian Saison yeast can often be very tricky. It's usually derived from DuPont, right? No, it's not. That's not what I'm trying to say, is it? Yes. Anyway, the Belgian-style yeast... Um, it's sometimes very tricky. It can stall, stall out, out on you. Yes. It can, yeah. that is what you're you know, throw some, throw some a wrench in the in the fermenting fermentation process. So, talk about uh, the front using the French saison yeast. Yeah, so we made a decision. I think it, you know, it has a pretty wide range of temperatures that you can ferment at. So we decided to ferment pretty low around. Uh, 67, 67, 68 And uh, something that we learned in the second time of brewing is that really after those first few days, that's where you're going to get the flavor profile Mm -hmm. of the yeast. And then you need to sort of bump it up to let it finish out. Um, We did not do that the first time. So that was the one we brewed for Brooklyn Wart. So it probably uh, got stuck around 1030, which was a cool experience for me because I'm checking on it and I would do a gravity reading and I get to sort of taste it and sort of see the different sweetness at the different levels to see how it dries out. So I actually really enjoyed that. Um, but we actually stirred it up and we ended up, uh, repitching some yeast and got it down to probably 10, 15. So that's the biggest difference between the second time we brewed it was really managing the temperature during fermentation to get it down to finish. I think. Right. And that was thirty seven eleven that did that. Yeah. Did that on we you. thought that's it was, you know, down. everyone said it's a really hard yeah. yeast. Yeah. And, yeah. Man, yeah. Right. But we fermented pretty low. So, I mean, I yeah. think it can go up to like 82. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I mean, I, I said, I didn't bring it up at all after the first few days. So I think that was really the issue. Um, I really should have brought it up, you know, mid-70s. Yeah. I've used it a couple times. I've never had to bring it up very much, but I didn't have the option at 508 uh, to bring it up. I had one one cold room for seven fermenters, and, you know, they all had to be around the same thing, and so I had to pick yeast that that all worked around 67, 68, and I had had some luck with 3711. Um, But I think it's also going to depend on how much... um, heat your fermentation is generating because yeah. you were talking about, talking about much bigger tanks gallons yeah, yeah. So, so it's gen- generating its own heat you know yeah yeah and a decent pitch rate i guess you know i think it's interesting because a lot of i've tasted a lot of uh beers i don't think i've actually used uh french saison yeast i'm hooked on the bell saison yeast mm-hmm. but um the french saison yeast which i don't know those could be the same i'm not even sure but um they're not right they're not. The French Saison yeast, though, I've tasted a lot of beers that people have used it because when it first came out, you know, it was kind of, you know, people really were interested because you don't have to worry about these stuck fermentations as much anyway. And um, but I think that is one thing you can get a huge difference in aroma and flavor profile depending on the temperature, you know, of either the entire duration or how you change it up. Sure. So so focusing on fermenting lower, we were going to try and get the peppery, spicy mm-hmm. character from it, as opposed to if you ferment higher, you get more of the bubble gum, the right. fruit. Like banana Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel the taste differences are from, from batch to batch? Yeah. Or two batches? Did you save any of the first bottle, that first batch? Unfortunately, we went through everything. Okay. Oh, I can imagine, yes. We, like, Freaking delicious. It was, very yeah. last yeah. minute. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's a lot cleaner this time around, I, probably because... The fermentation just went a lot smoother. Mm-hmm. Um, and because the finish a little bit lower, I think the flavors are are sharper. 
um, more pronounced. It is pretty bright, I would yeah. say. And mm-hmm. you do get a nut. Like I get, I'm getting a lot of fresh fruit, like apple, pear, kind of a little bit of pepper, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I mean, it, this is a really nice flavor profile. So, thank you. Yeah, so this was bottled probably uh, seven or eight days ago. So I would say probably in another week or so as it finishes out and carbs a little bit more. I think the one that we brought to Brooklyn Warmer was uh, very effervescent. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I, it does uh, have a little more – I think it has a little heavier has, body. Yeah. So, yeah. which – but, you know, which should ex- be explained by – the other thing uh, – so how do you feel the what, rye – what do you feel the rye gives to it? Again, I think it gives a, uh, a drier um, – peppery sort of finish to the beer mm-hmm. um, I think that gets accentuated even more with uh, lower finishing gravity and when we do carb when we carb it um, to a to a higher level cool now the other day well we're going to take a break actually because it is we are going to take a break we're going to come back and talk more about recipe formulation and uh, your lives of brewing here on Foment About It thanks for listening Foment About It program was brought to you by S. Wallace Edwards and Sons. Edwards Suriano hams are aged to perfection for no less than 400 days and hickory smoked to achieve a deep mahogany color. The Edwards name is well known for its world-class aged and cured meats. Their exclusive curing and aging recipe produces a unique flavor profile that enhances the quality characteristics of Berkshire pork. Optimum amounts of pure white fat marbling contribute to a flavor that's a delicate, perfect balance between sweet and salty. For more information, visit edwardsvaham.com. This is Brandon Hoy, co-owner of Roberta's, and you're listening to HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Welcome back to Foment About It on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are here in studio with Matt Federico and Andrew Berman, uh, some of our favorite uh, homebrewers locally. Great team. They won second place, which uh, we also call first loser of, uh, of Brooklyn Words. <laughs> but one of the great things and the fun things about that is that that is a competition that is uh, both judged and also has a people's choice. And in this weird, rare instance, they apparently paid both teams uh, and <laughs> for, for the vote, but they got second place in both in both categories, which was awesome. I've yeah. never seen the judges and, and people's choice line up and as, as, as they did. They were all three the same? No. The first two were the, the same, The first right? two were the first same. Two. Yeah. yeah. Which was crazy because the guy who won uh, had a Goza and we had a Saison, which I would not think are two of the most popular styles yeah. for well, and, uh, people's and it was, choice. Yeah. Right. It's interesting to see how things it was. It was a Goza with something else. What was it? Grapefruit Goza? It was a Grapefruit Goza. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right now. So, hey, we have sophisticated palates here in Brooklyn, New York. That's we right. have moved on. I mean. Well, we're going back, though, too. Yeah, but speaking of <laughs> it's Gozas. Cyclical. It's cyclical. Speaking yeah. of Gozas, I was in a bar the, this weekend, and I think that. Like a 12, 15 tap bar, and there were three gozas on tap. So we have definitely hit that, you know, odd, odd historical styles that are definitely back and, and thriving here. Um, okay, so let's go back to the, this uh, Greenwood Saison with rice. So first of all, why'd you guys name it Greenwood Saison? Well, we named it that because I got engaged um, <laughs> a couple weeks before we brewed it, and uh, 
Greenwood was a location where I proposed to her. So nice. I was gonna say, did you get did you get engaged in Greenwood Cemetery? That's no. So sorry, this is back in Michigan. We have a very that one of the largest cemeteries in New York. Uh, city is Greenwood Cemetery. Yeah, a lot of people came up to me at Brooklyn Moore yeah. to like, did you name that after the cemetery? Yeah. I'm like, Sorry, man. It is a very cool historical cemetery. I actually went to a play there one night. But anyway. That w- As one does. Yeah. But I would, you never know. Anyway. Yeah. Someone would get engaged. I think they did have, they have had some interesting events there. All right, so let's t- go, go. Sorry, I keep, keep my mind in. is all over yeah, the place. It certainly is. So, yeah. oh. <laughs> 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 never mind. <laughs> uh, so you guys have brewed once a month uh, for three years. Um, one of the fun things about home brewing is not having to repeat a recipe, but you guys are repeating recipes. In why? There's a few we really liked. I think yeah. that was uh, actually the first uh, repeat beer we did was uh, a goza that Matt came up with, uh, a rhubarb goza. Nice. Um, so that was probably the first beer that we were like, this is awesome. We need to do this again. And it's seasonal, so that really worked out well. Um I think a few others just, you know, as you start to really like a certain beers, you want to brew them again and just to sort of, um, I think as much as you want to try something different, you also want to reach some sort of level of as close as you can to perfection. So, um, you know, we try to do this year, we've already done two repeats, but we know we want to do something new next January 12th. And we've done <laughs> we've done two beers already, right? In the twelve days, awesome. Uh, one, no, sorry, one, and one right before the new year. Okay, yeah. okay, so. right. <laughs> what talk about your rhubarb goes? How did? What oh. was your approach to the gosa? Well, first of all, I just I really love rhubarb. Um, I make pies with it, and it's just been a part of my life growing <laughs> up. I had a grandpa that made pies, and so it was always great to have him bring like a stack of four rhubarb pies. Is your grandfather Charlie Papazian? He's not. <laughs> He's not. Okay. Charlie Papazian is also a pie baker. Anyway. Oh, excellent. Well, he loves pies, and for his birthday, he would have he used to teach school, and he'd have his kids bring or tell his tell his parent tell their parents that. You know, they should bring pies to school, and then he just created National Pie Day. And while we're on the subject, Bitter and Esther's is having an event, a pie and beer event, uh, on January 23rd in honor of uh, Charlie Papazian and his birthday. And I did, is donate, are donating some of, the, some of the proceeds from that to Charlie's favorite charity. That should be fun. But back to rhubarb. <laughs> <laughs> um, so ever, and your grandfather. Yes. <laughs> so uh, ever since we started brewing together... Um, so I was like, yeah, I gotta gotta do something with rhubarb, you know. But it took over a year for me to realize, like, get wrap my head around, well, what do I actually do with it? You know, there's mm-hmm. not too many. I read all the forums online, and there's not too many people who are talking about putting rhubarb in beers. Mm-hmm. So it took me a while, but um, I landed on uh, goza, and I thought it would, the rhubarb because well, goza has little has some acidity, some tartness to it. So I figure, well, rhubarb without all the sugar that you put into a pie together, it's it's really tart on itself. So, um, decided to do a, a goza. It's got the salt, the coriander, and uh, I just put a bunch of rhubarb in it. When? Uh, yeah. Secondary. Secondary. Yeah. So we like we. Uh, it's a it's a long and terrible process to add the rhubarb, but it's so we we awesome. added twelve pounds of rhubarb in a five, five gallon batch. batch. Yes. Yeah, that's wow, that's a lot. Awesome. Yes. Yeah. But we got all the acidity from yeah. the rhubarb. We didn't that's pitch any lacto or anything Right, like that. no acidulated malt, just nope. that. Because we weren't at that point in our, yeah. in our well, brewing the, career. The thing is, though, I don't actually think you need to be. I mean, that's a good example of deriving acidity from, and, you know, that mm-hmm. 
texture flavor from another, something else entirely. Sure. So, so we what, did get the acidity from it, and also at in the, the end product sort of had like a grapefruity um, taste to it as well. So it added a lot of complexity that I didn't even realize was going to give. Plus, it's a really nice color too. Oh yeah, everybody. definitely. If only brought it to Brooklyn. Twelve Mort. pounds. We, we did that for the first round. <laughs> yeah. oh, you did. But we oh, didn't wow. have en- we didn't have enough to, uh, to <laughs> yeah, do to this keep- the event. And it's our it's our seasonal homebrew. Yeah. Oh nice. <laughs> What um, did you prep the rhubarb in any way so besides washing it? Obviously. Washed it. I froze it because I, you know, bought it in June and mm-hmm. I don't know when we first time we brewed it was in January, I think. Yeah. Um, so froze it, and I read that that breaks, breaks up the, the cells, cells. Mm-hmm. so yep, yep. a better uh, flavor. Uh, what do you call it? Transfer mm-hmm. into the beer. Did you chop it up? Dice it up? Yep, chop okay. it up. We, we put, put it in through a food processor. Yep, oh. to like oh. give more surface area. Yeah. Um. So, so when you when it came out, was it more like was it a slush or was it just kind of like a finely diced? It's like product. a slush. A slush. Okay. And we actually then transfer it to a tertiary to clean to it all clean out. It out. Okay. Yeah, um, I would that would make sense. Which I'm sure is not the best practice. But uh, we haven't had any adverse results to it at this point. I think as long as you're careful with sanitation and your racking practices. Mm. You're drinking it fast if for any yeah. oxidation if it happens. Or not. Yeah, we, uh, we've been pretty lucky with no oxidation issues. And, and now that's actually another lesson we learned in processes. We purge all of our carboys if you go to secondary with uh, CO2. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's lasted a while. I still have one in my, in my fridge and it still has a really nice taste to it. Awesome. So you guys are pouring your rye IPA mm-hmm. at Josh Bernstein's event yes, at Jimmy's correct. number 43. So that's this is your third rebatch, and we actually had this dry hop with Galaxy Hops The, the one they're serving yesterday. is the second batch. The, the third. third batch. Mm-hmm. Oh, the one you're well, serving was, is the third batch. Yeah. What we tasted yesterday was the, the second, second batch. batch. Yeah. And what are the differences between the three batches? Yeah, what have you learned through the process? Well, between batch one and batch two, we decided to up the rye because we really liked what it brought to the beer. Um, and then also we, we did switch up some of the hops, uh, dry hopping between batch one and batch two. Batch one, we did a mix of Amarillo and Galaxy. Second batch, we did straight Galaxy. Um, but I think we're probably going to go back to a mix. We yeah. Think I it think plays the, better with the rye. Yeah, I think the biggest things from one and two were... Uh, we have our water profile, so we treat our water now. And um, with the second batch, so we brewed a double IPA a few months ago, and I actually broke a carboy as I was cleaning it, preparing it for secondary. So we put it in a larger six and a half gallon carboy, and just sort of crossed my fingers and hope it wouldn't oxidize, and it did. So uh, since we don't keg, we decide we bought a co2 tank regulator and now we purge all of our carboys so that was a huge difference i think i think it really helped in sort of bringing out the aroma of the galaxy yeah. uh, on the second batch so and also we moved to yeast starters in between the year that we rebrewed so there's a lot of things that, yeah. that i think have really made the beer better so when you're dry hopping are you adding your hops and then purging and then we uh Purge the tank, add the hops, and then racked on top of it. Okay. Then give a little extra. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, I mean, Simon Tepes, who makes really awesome award-winning pale ales and IPAs. I don't know if you guys know him or have had. Anyway, he's won many other competitions. Um, But he he always purges his hops with CO2 and then, you know, the keg and everything. Mm -hmm. And 
And I do think that make, can make a difference. Yeah, we've so. just started like purging everything. Whatever. Yeah. It's just <laughs> it's kind of addicting. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just makes you feel safer too. Yeah. yeah. More secure. And obviously, if you guys are seeing the results, then you know. Yeah. So then, how about the third batch? So the third batch we brewed uh, a week ago. Yeah, I think that was pretty much a straight rebrew. We really liked it. Same malt base as as batch two with the up dry. Yeah, right. Yeah, and we sort of just really liked it, and we just needed to brew it for the for the event. So it's fermenting right now. We yeah. still we still have time to decide what we want to do for the dry hop. Yeah. Right, right, exactly. I think it'll, I'm hoping it will probably finish out a little bit better since we've sort of learned a little bit more about temperature control uh, during fermentation a little bit more. But besides that, it was the exact same uh, recipe for the third third time. We'll switch the dry hopping, but cool. So what do you guys what do you see for 2015? 2015 i hope to continue to do a few more events i think really in the last years we've sort of uh focused on networking in this awesome local nyc beer scene um to continue to do that um i said as long as as we feel good about what we're brewing and we want to share it and learn from people and that's that's really all we want to do is share share beer and continue to talk to people i mean i said i can talk about beer all night so to find people that want to do (laughs) that it's really cool you guys are members of two clubs right the dive bar Homebrewers uh, Symposium. Yeah. yeah, well, I'll have to call that a symposium, not a club, because I know they're. Uh, oh, it's are, a, uh, yeah. Two gathering. Yeah, uh, yep. yeah, and then, of uh, people, and then Brooklyn yeah. Bruisers, who we met through actually a uh, Josh Bernstein homebrew tour that we went on and started talking to everyone. They said, "Hey, we're all in Bruisers," and we're so why aren't we in the Bruisers? <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, yeah, especially not. me living in Greenpoint. It's like, oh, it's yeah, such, that's. Why yeah. not? Why haven't we done this before? Yeah. Yeah. We've had the bruisers on, several bruisers on the show, and then Chris and I go pretty regularly. Yeah, so. and they're great guys to yeah. talk to and just learn from. And, and girls, there's a few. Yes, there's a few girls. ladies. <laughs> yes, but uh, I, I said so I think that's really what I want to do. Just learn from people. There's still so many different types of beers that we want to do. Uh, I think our next batch is going to be our first uh, Berliner Weiss. Yeah. Uh, so. Um, you know, just keep exploring and learning about different styles. I think that's the fun thing to just continually improve upon uh, your process and make good beer. Now, if you guys come across, do you use kind of commercial beers as inspiration sometimes? Sure. And now, like, if you come across a beer, you know, then do you guys, you know, make sure the other person has it or? Yeah, I think that's the best thing is doing the uh, research part of research. home right. development. <laughs> yeah, uh, so I'd say, hey, let's do a Berliner Weiss. Okay, let's go to the store and let's each buy, you know, eight different uh, beers of that style and see right. what we like. Uh, that's how we sort of did our uh, oatmeal stout, you know, uh, just buy up as many different styles like that and then buy as many different uh, we added cold brew coffee so hey let's buy different cold brew coffee and spend uh spend a day doing different awesome. uh, ratios and yeah so it's a lot of drinking involved in the research and that's great <laughs> <laughs> that's cool though i think that's a great way of you know developing so one last thing so what how are you guys developing your recipes together are you doing it in person online do you emails back and forth do you have any you know it's probably all all of the all of the above <laughs> Um, it depends. Sometimes one of us will have an inspiration and we'll write a recipe, then we'll bounce it off each other mm-hmm. and then really just try to figure out what flavor we're going for and then build up from there. So sometimes we'll have different suggestions or it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a, yeah. 
it's I a good th- working relationship, and I would. Uh, I think we got to the yeah. point where we sort of both understand what we like, so it's really easy to sort of you know until you sort of go online and you start looking at the same things. So right. we'll come back yeah. and be like, oh yeah, we both read the same article, so we have the same base idea. And then I think uh, Matt's really good at sort of learning how to finish out a recipe, so I always will defer to him on that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. But I think one of the things about homebrewing, too, is it's like you have to really plan out. I said, we're only brewing once a month. So sometimes, especially with the rebrews, it's like, well, we waited a whole year to rebrew it. So, <laughs> you know, you have to take really good notes. Yeah, yeah. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. yeah, the brewing notebook is key, whether it be digital or in paper or whatever. Yep. Agreed. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much for coming. Yeah, thanks and for having us. Thank you for sharing your yeah. beers and, and uh, doing it. Absolutely. Keep it up. Good luck with the Berliner. I look forward to trying that at some point. Awesome. Well, that's it for tonight on Femen About It. We'll be back next Monday, live, 7 p.m. on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Andrew Berman, Matt Federico, thank you very much. Femen About It. The Men About It's theme song is provided by Chris Kuzme. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archive programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can email us questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.